I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. That's what Jesus spoke about with his own church. He is building his church and we want to have, we want to be actually rather, we want to be the kind of church that God desires. Amen? Who wants to be that kind of church? I don't want to be a religious church. I don't want to be a weak, wimpy church. I want to be a strong, robust church that actually understands who they are. But we understand the God that we serve. And he is the one who's building his church. We build it on the foundation of Jesus. Ephesians 2 says, consequently, he says consequently because he said something before. Who knows what he said before in chapter 2? Anyone know? Oh, you have to know. You are saved by grace, through faith. This is not of yourself. right? This is all the gift of God. It's not your works. It's all because of the grace of God toward you. You're in the kingdom because of the grace of God, because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become what? A holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Like if we don't have that reality, if we don't have God dwelling amongst us, then we have nothing. We have nothing. But the promise is, the promise is because we are in Christ Jesus, he says, as you come together, as he is the focus, I'm going to dwell amongst you by the power of my spirit. You know, you're never alone. Sometimes we have days where we feel we're just so isolated and alone, and it's like, God, where are you? Have you died? <laughs> but he's always with us, dwells with us by his spirit. The foundation for all we do is Jesus. It's his grace towards us. But then we build. And uh, Luke's been going through some of this stuff over the last little while. Let me just put it up. We won't have to go through it all. But that's the kind of church. They're the building blocks of the kind of church that we want to be. A church that is founded on grace. It's grace from first to last. church that knows the glory of God. A church with guts. I like that. If that offends you, I'm sorry but we've all got them. Some we've got more than others. <laughs> church who gathers, who wants to see people brought in. A church who goes, church who grows, and that's in, not just in numbers, but that's in maturity. That's in the experience of God. A church who gives, a church that is structured. There's, there's, there's principles of government, of the way that we, that we uh, not just the way we do things, but that way that we just actually hear God um, we're all under his government. He is the head. Right? No, no person is the head. It's Jesus Christ is the head. Amen? And a church of generations. We're going to build for the future. Um, and so I began last week and I just reminded us of the three things that God spoke to me about, to Robin and I about, 
when we first came here. Um, and it was this. This is the type of church that God said to me to have. A church that is founded on grace. That it's grace from first to last. We start with grace we end with grace. You don't get saved by grace and then do everything else out of your own self-effort. It's grace from first to last. Just as Paul says in Romans, it's by faith from first to last. A church that carries the miraculous with his glory. In other words, a church that, that knows how to enter the presence of God. A church that loves the presence of God. A church that understands what it is to see the power of God. Signs, wonders and miracles. That's what we need, amen? That's what Perth needs. Because people will never be convinced just by what you say. It's by an action. It's by what we do. And even just acts of kindness come with the power of God. They come with an anointing that actually can impact people's lives. We want to be a people who carry the miraculous power of God, amen? Jesus said that. He said, if you believe in me, you will do the very things that I've been doing. Amen? We should get very excited about that. Imagine a group of people walking around the streets of Perth doing exactly what Jesus did. Folk, that's, that should excite every one of us. The reason we don't get quite excited as we should because we don't really believe it's possible. And so we always, we always then we look for other people. Okay, well, who... And we look for superheroes, ones or twos who can do it. No, it's for every single one of us. Amen? That should be a big amen. A church that enjoys God, a church that is full of joy, that God delights, that we understand God delights over us. God is most praised when we enjoy Him. The joy of the Lord is our strength. He's happy. He is happy. He's not mad. He's not angry with you. He took an oath never to be angry with us ever again. He's a happy God. Folk church is not meant to be a drag. It's meant to be enjoyed. Amen? And that has a lot to do with our approach. If we don't understand God delights in us, then we'll always we'll slip into that religious mode of trying to perform, trying to, trying to be holy, you know, trying to do holy things, just trying to please him to get him to like us. Now he delights in you. He delights in every day God sings over you. What do you do when you first wake up in the morning? Oh, it's morning. Hey? <laughs> I'm not a morning person, so I'm terrible in the morning. Maybe you are, maybe some, I know some people who get up, they love getting up really early. I, I struggle. Um, but what do you do in the morning? I've actually had to train, I've had to discipline myself to think God thoughts as soon as I wake up. Because if I don't, I want to tell you, other thoughts will come piling into my head. I don't know what it's like for you, but that's, that's what it's like for me. Do you know the devil knows every weakness you have? And he wants to capitalise on that. So he's always looking for things. So I make sure the moment I wake up, I've got to think God's thoughts. And this is one of the first things that I think of every single morning. God, you're singing over me right now. 
That can change your whole day. That changed the outlook for your whole day. To know that God delights and he sings over us. He's singing songs of destiny, songs of joy, songs of healing, songs, songs of fruitfulness, songs of success, songs of power. Wow. We get, our minds get so cluttered with the rubbish of this world. That's why Paul makes a point. Colossians chapter 3, I think it is, where he says, set your minds on things above. You've got to set your heart up there. You've got to see into that realm. So we want to be a church that, that enjoys God. All right, I started last week on this, um, just expanding on part two, on that second point. A church that carries the miraculous with his glory. A church that knows the presence and the glory of God. There's one permanent commodity in heaven and it's the glory of God. It never fades, never lessens, it never goes away, never goes hiding somewhere. The glory of God is always present. There's two commodities you need to have on earth if you want to experience and know and enter that glory. Who wants to know the glory of God? See, there's two things we need. We need faith and you need the anointing. The anointing is that supernatural enablement of God that's on your life. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible even to enter into his presence on a regular basis. Because if you don't believe he exists, if you don't believe that his desire is to actually welcome you into his presence, then you won't do it. You hold God off at arm's length instead of running into his presence, knowing that he's waiting to embrace you. So we need faith. But you need the anointing. The anointing is there to actually help you live. You know, it's there for your marriage. It's there to lead your family. It's there for your job. Why do I need the anointing for my job? You do. If you actually want to carry the presence of God, you need the anointing. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, confidence to enter, his, enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Faith to enter into his presence. I want to know his presence, folks. If, 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 if I don't sense, if I can't feel the presence of God on a regular basis, I'd go crazy. I'd just go mad. I need it. I have to have it. The anointing has to do with his power resting on us, his power being released through us. The anointing is, to, is, is the working of God in you. But the glory of God is something different. The glory of, you rest in the glory of God. When the glory of God comes, you just sit back and rest and watch what God does. Amen? The glory of God is the very essence of who he is. He's the most glorious 
being in existence. I think to, to even try and describe the glory of God is, is impossible. Words wouldn't be able to do it. When, when John saw something of the glory of God, you read it in the book of Revelation, like when he sees Jesus, he just falls down at his feet, overcome by what he saw. A couple of chapters later and he sees the throne room of heaven and, he, and he, he doesn't have words to really describe what he sees. He just sees, he sees flashes of light and all these brilliant colours. He sees a rainbow, the colour of an emerald. He just sees all these incredible things and, 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 he, and words fail him to really describe. All he can do is say there's just this magnificent aura of light of all different colours that surrounds the Lord. Can you imagine what it would be like to actually see the glory of God? See, sometimes we see little snippets or evidence of it but John actually saw it. I, I, I don't know about you, but that fascinates me. I, I want to see the glory of God. I don't know what would happen if I ever did see it like that. I think I'd be like John. I think I would just fall straight down on my face. The glory of God is the manifestation of the fullness of his beauty and his holiness. His holiness in all its perfections. I think Luke did this, spoke about this the other week. He talked about one of the Hebrew words for glory is kabod, which speaks of the weightiness or the worth of something. The weightiness of God's glory. It's not just like a misty cloud. It actually has substance. It carries the attributes of God, his deity, his person, his majesty. In um, the end of the book of Exodus, and Moses has done all the preparations for the tabernacle, and uh, he gets everything all set up in place, and and, and, and the tent of meeting is there, and all the outer court, and all the furniture is there, and it says, as soon as he finished putting everything in place, he said, the cloud of God's glory came down and rested over, the, over that tent, but then filled that tent of meeting so Moses couldn't enter. The people couldn't enter. They were completely surrounded with the glory of God. And they couldn't do anything. All they could do was just get on their faces and worship God. There was a weightiness of the glory of God. In the book of Chronicles, in Second Chronicles chapter 5, you see a similar thing with Solomon's temple. So it's gone now from a, from a tent that's moving everywhere to a permanent dwelling, a building, and, uh, and they finish, they get everything, all the preparations are done ready for the big day, the dedication day. And this is before, before that day has come. And the priests bring the Ark of the Covenant into the holy place and they begin to worship God and it says a cloud comes. A cloud of his glory is described as. And it's so weighty, it's the kabod glory of God. 
The Shekinah glory is the brilliant light. I think that's what John saw. The brilliant light of God's glory. But the Kabod glory has a weight to it. And, and they saw it as a cloud that just filled the smoke of his glory, came and filled the temple so that they could not stand. You read it. It's one of my favorite portions of scripture. 2 Chronicles 5, verse 11 to 14. And they couldn't stand. All they could do was just lay down on their faces. Can you imagine that, folk? Imagine you're just at your kitchen sink washing your dishes. And the kabod glory of God just comes down in your kitchen. I think the dishes would wash, would wash themselves. Eh? That would all be done. And you wouldn't be able to do anything other than just get on your knees because of the, the weight of his glory. Isaiah saw the glory of God. And he says the whole earth is full of his glory. Now he wasn't talking about the kabod. He wasn't talking about the weightiness of God's glory. He was just talking about the fact that God is everywhere. And when we recognize the fact that God is everywhere, you will see his glory. Because his glory is displayed in everything. We were singing before that song, How Great Is Our God. And I can remember showing the movie. Some of you were there in our house. We, we watched the video, um, How Great Is Our God, and it just goes, uh, goes through the, the, the cre- God's creation and the universe and the amazing um, diversity and, and the size of the planets and the fact that we are here on this little blue earth. And uh, I can remember, I don't think there was a dry eye in our house as we watched that, that video that night because we were overcome with the glory and the majesty of who God is. Folk, I believe that's where he wants his church to come back to. That we don't fill all of our time just, just scuttling around like a little busy cockroach, you know, trying to keep ourselves busy, doing a whole lot of religious things. But we actually learn how to discern and how to rest in his presence. That we become so attuned to that that we don't just step into the door, we don't just stand on the threshold, but we step into more than just, just a little bit of his presence, but we step into his glory. Now, sometimes when the glory of God came, people were so... Overwhelmed, They were afraid of it because they didn't know how to cope with it. You know, when Moses would go in and he would meet with God and he would stand in the glory and he would come out and his face was so brilliant. And that was just a reflection. Think about that. All he was doing was reflecting the atmosphere that he had been standing in. And people were afraid of it. He'd have to put a veil over his face. And that would last for days, weeks. Just a reflection because he'd been in the glory of God. When, when, when Jesus was born and the, the angelic choir is seen by those shepherds, it says they, they stood in glory. 
It says, glory shone all around them. No wonder they just dropped everything and ran to find where Jesus was. Jesus, when, when he ascended into heaven, he ascended in glory, in a cloud. Not just a natural cloud, a cloud of glory. In fact, when people love and desire God's presence, it attracts more of his presence. I desire his presence. Everything happens from his presence. Healings happen from his presence. Revelation comes from his presence. He is enthroned on our praise. He inhabits our praise. We enter his courts with thanksgiving. We enter or enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. It's the heart of a worshipper that brings us into his presence. You know, there's no other way. You will never experience the presence of God in any meaningful way if your life is just full of grumbling and complaint. You know that. That will get you nowhere. God can't respond to that. But he responds to heartfelt gratitude. He always responds to the heart of a worshipper. You know, I've heard some people say, well, I'm just not a worshipper. It's not just me. Well, I want to tell you, you need to become one. Because, because it's worshippers that God is seeking. Jesus said that himself in John chapter 4. It's wor- God is seeking worshippers. And if you don't like to worship, then you need to make a decision to actually change something in you. Change an attitude. Because he- I tell you, when you get to heaven, you mean a lot of worship. And don't think it's going to be boring. Oh, does that mean we're all just going to be standing at some great big overhead screen singing songs? No. It doesn't mean that at all. It means, it means that you're going to be so enamored with the glory of God that every cell in your being is going to be vibrating, wanting to worship him. Don't wait until then. Don't wait till then. Let your life be a visible demonstration of what heaven is going to be like. Heaven is only occupied by one type of person, worshippers of God. Amen? God comes in his presence when people worship him. And I've studied this a lot over many, many years. And it's just a continual theme that you can see right through Scripture. When people gather to worship, when there's a heartfelt desire, then he comes in his presence. He's worthy of our praise. He alone deserves all the glory. Amen. God wants to be with us more than we want to be with him. I mentioned three things last week, just in as we were drawing to a close, and I didn't have time to get into any of them, but just three aspects of God's glory. 
And so I want to just go through those quickly this morning in the time I've got left. Psalm 23 verse 6 says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surrounded. Not, not just follow me because I, a better way to actually read that verse is that God's goodness, his presence will surround me wherever I go. It's in front of me, it's behind me, it's to the right, it's to the left, it's above and below. Everywhere I go, God's presence is guaranteed to go with me. Moses cries out in Exodus 33 and 34 and he says, God, show me your glory. And God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass by you. The goodness of God is his glory. It's the very essence of who he is. David says in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? If I go up to the sky, you're there. If I go to the depths of the earth, you're there. If I go to the sea, you're there. If I go to the land, you're there. I can't get away from the presence of God. Amen? Now, the thing is, we don't always discern that. We don't always recognise the fact that his presence is with us. And I believe that that is part of actually maturing as a believer. Maturing as a, as a Christian isn't, isn't, you know, having a longer, longer, longer list of memory verses. That's not what it's talking about. You're not more mature because you can quote more scripture. I believe maturity has a whole lot to do with us growing in our ability to be able to discern what God is doing and to be able to discern his presence. If the Bible says that he is with us always, he will never leave us or forsake us, and we are not experiencing that, it means that I've still got to grow in my ability to discern his presence. Are you with me? Folk, that, that, this is so important. I, I think that's one of, the, one of the major things that you can actually... You, you, we don't want to ever judge or... Ga- you know, it's not gauging people, but your own life. Am I as mature as, as I think I am? Well, I think, I think a healthy way of... healthy little test is... is how easy is it for me to actually sense the presence of God? And if you're really struggling with that, then I want to encourage you and just say to you, that's an area that you need to grow in because it's available for every single person. It doesn't mean you're more holy or less holy. It just, see, it just means that you haven't, you haven't disciplined yourself to develop that Ability to discern his presence. I can walk into my office and it just feels like a dead fridge. Right? Just like any other room in my house. There's nothing special. Walk in there, you uh, books everywhere. I oh, know there's work to be done. But I can sit in my chair and just put my hands out and just say, Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. And, and, and literally, almost every time, within, a, within 30 seconds to a minute, his presence is there. And it's not because I'm anything special or different than anyone else. It's just that I know that he wants to be with me. And as soon as, as, soon as I give that 
invitation, if you like. Not that he needs one. But as soon as I give that invitation, bang, he's there. We need, we need to grow in our ability to discern his presence. Because you can be in a meeting and the atmosphere is thick with his presence. And yet some people wouldn't have a clue. I'm not downplaying those, bagging those people. I'm just saying, learn how to develop your spirit, grow in your spirit so that you can sense that. Amen? Sometimes we sense his presence much stronger than at other times. And sometimes we don't. But it doesn't make it any less true that God is there. Amen? We can lose sight of the glory of God because we are obsessed with the glory of man. You know, we look at people instead of God. We look at ourselves instead of God. Society is obsessed with how things look. And we can get caught up in that whole trap. Become blinded to the majesty of who he is. On the day that they did finally come and dedicate the temple, that's Second Chronicles chapter 7, Solomon has gathered all the people together and they, he begins to pray, and they've made some sacrifices, and it says the glory of the Lord came in the same way as it had just before. I don't know if that was a few days before or, or, or what. We're not sure. We, we, we don't know. But, but it was some time before when the glory came when they brought their ark in, and it came as a, as a smoke that filled the room that they were in. But now you read that it actually covers, it fills the entire temple and it covers the whole temple. So they couldn't even get into the place. They couldn't walk up the steps. Not only that, but in the glory, fire came. Wow. Fire came down. In Leviticus, I think it's in chapter 9, you see the same thing with Moses' tabernacle. It says they, the glory of the, of the Lord came and it just covered the entire tabernacle. The people saw it. They were surrounded by the glory of God. It was the weighty kabod glory. And in that, fire came out and consumed the sacrifice that had been placed on the altar. They hadn't lit the fire. God came and did it. Remember there's a story like that in, with Elijah? Is it Elijah or Elisha? Elijah. Fire comes down. In the book of Revelation, it says this. It says that your prayers and your worship is placed upon the altar in heaven and God instructs an angel to take fire from the altar and mix it with your worship, mix it with your prayers and it's thrown back down onto the earth and it comes with power. John the Baptist says... Um, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming who's going to baptize you with fire. The fire of God comes out of his glory. 
We, we need to be people who carry the fire of God. Amen? God surrounds us with his presence. He surrounds us with his glory. Psalm 32 verse 7 says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. You need deliverance? You need something to happen? Something's going on around you? Something's going on to you? Whatever it is, whether it's physical, emotional, whatever is going on around you, folk, there's, there's often something that's happening in our life where we actually need the power and the fire and the glory of God to come and deliver us from that situation. Amen? But if you don't have faith to expect it to happen, it won't happen. But his fire can be released. His glory can be released. It can be released on your body. It can be released in your situation. He surrounds you with songs of deliverance. He sings over us. He delights over us. Songs of breakthrough. Songs of healing. Everywhere I go, God goes before me. He's with me, surrounding me with his song, with his love, with his goodness, with his mercy, with his presence. You know, Catherine Kuhlman, who's heard of Catherine Kuhlman? I think pretty much everyone knows who she is, or was, is, still is, just in a different place. Um, so incredible healings right through her life. But she... Um, Something shifted in her ministry. And she would, she would operate, in, in, in the first number of years, she would operate out of the anointing. Remember I said before, the anointing is the power of God. It's the supernatural power of God on you to do what God's called you to do. And so, so if you, when, you, when you lay hands on people, you pray for them to be healed and they get healed, that's the anointing flowing through your life. It's the healing power of Jesus touching someone. And so she saw many, many people healed like that, of the anointing. But then she, she had an experience with the glory of God. And then that, that changed, that shifted the way she ministered. And if you've ever seen some of those old grainy videos, those old movies about her, you would see she, she, would, she would wait behind the curtain of the stage and she would just worship until the glory of God came. She would let people, sometimes worship would go on for an hour, more, and she would wait until the glory of God had come into that room. And people often commented and wrote articles on it how a mist would come into those meetings. The glory of God would come. And then she would come out onto the platform. And she didn't, she rarely from that, from that moment on would she lay hands on people. She hardly ever prayed for someone. She would begin to announce healings. There's someone over there. There's someone there receiving your sight. There's someone over here. You've just been healed of this particular cancer. There's someone over here. You're in a wheelchair. In 30 seconds, you're going to stand up and you're going to begin to walk. See, she wasn't working. She didn't have to work under the anointing anymore because the glory of God had come in such a way that all she had to do was just announce what God was doing. 
And that's what happens when the glory comes. You just rest and sit back and watch what God does. Amen? I've had the privilege twice. Oh, man, my time's gone. Two or three times now. I said last week I was in a meeting where we heard angels. I've, I've experienced that several times. But in one particular meeting, it was at an auditorium, about 5,000 people. I was up on stage playing. And, and, we, and we, we actually stopped worshipping. We stopped and um, there was just silence. I don't know, Kay, were you there in that meeting? Yeah. And we could hear right up. I, I turned around because I could hear. I thought, who's still singing? Cheeky person. And because uh, it was just silence. It was just this amazing moment of silence. And then you could hear right up. It was like in the rafters. You could hear this angelic sound that just then went right across the roof. It was amazing. But I've had the privilege of leading worship twice, once in the United States, once in Malaysia, where within, within just two or three songs, the glory of God's presence had become so thick, I just couldn't lead anymore. No one could do anything. And, 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 and I just got off the stage, just knelt on the side of the stage because the glory of God was so thick in that place. And in those, in those meetings, there were just spontaneous healings that just took place. Bang. Because God came with his glory. I want that. Man, I want that. So God surrounds us with his presence. The second one is that God, sometimes he will come upon us. So we can have God's presence surrounding us, but still not be fully aware of it. We might even watch other people who seem to be enjoying it. But you can have God's presence on you so that you carry it wherever you go. Now, I like that. Because it's one thing to be in a meeting and to experience God's presence around you. But it's another thing to actually then walk out of that and have it upon you. And I think that's something of what was happening to Moses. He would walk out of the tent of meeting and his face shone with the glory of God because the presence of God was so on him. When Jesus was baptised, it says the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and rested on him. A whole lot of Bizarre teaching, I think, that goes on that talks about, well, you better make sure you do everything perfectly right, otherwise the Holy Spirit's going to fly away because he's a very timid dove. I don't think that's good theology. It's not a timid dove that comes and heals people. It's not a timid dove that casts demons out. It's not a timid dove that, you know, fire gets blasted down. No. Holy Spirit's powerful. Powerful. Amen. But the presence of God can rest upon us. Jesus, in John chapter 20, he breathes the Holy Spirit into the disciples. I believe that was the day they got saved, born again, because he breathed life into them. But then he says to them, he says, but I want you to wait now. I want you to wait until the gift of the Holy Spirit comes on you in power. And when he comes in power, he will enable you to do. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do. 
Amen? So the Holy Spirit comes upon. We, how many of you, we, we need more of the Holy Spirit. I thank God that of the promise of God that He dwells within me, but there t- I know I need Him upon me as well. He's in me for me. He's in me for my life, but I need Him upon me for others. So the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit was given, came upon them. Acts 10, uh, Peter's in Cornelius' house. He's speaking, he's just sharing the gospel and the Holy Spirit comes upon, upon them. You can read that scripture. He comes upon them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, they're praying together and uh, the whole room starts to shake. And, the, and they're filled. The Holy Spirit comes upon all of them. Man, that would, that's the, that God's glory comes and surrounds them, but then he comes upon them. And you know what happens straight from there? They go out and there's signs, wonders and miracles all over the place to the point where Peter's shadow is healing people. Carrying the glory of God upon us. Not just in a meeting, but now everywhere we go. His glory on us. Amen? And then, all right, my time's gone, so let me just give you this. I had a whole lot more on that, but I'll do. The Holy Spirit, or God's presence, and I believe to the point of His manifest glory in us. Around us? Resting upon us and then in us. See, I think there is a maturing that God wants to take us through so that we go from not just having a meeting where his presence is around us, where we don't just then walk out of that meeting and be a little bit like Moses where we might carry that presence for a day or so but that we mature and grow to a place where we carry his presence and glory permanently within us. Jesus Jesus takes Peter, James and John. Read it, it's uh, Matthew 17. He takes them up onto the Mount of transfiguration and they're there and uh, get surrounded by a cloud of glory they're overwhelmed by that but then they see something else they actually hear God speaking but they hear they see something else and it's like Jesus takes a piece of his skin and opens up a flap in his side and they see the reality of who he is they see what's inside and so they see him shining with a brilliant light as bright as the sun and they see him in all his glory there wasn't a glory that was coming from outside although they saw a glory cloud around them There wasn't a glory coming on Jesus. 
That was the glory that was coming from within him. In fact, it says in the book of Revelation that there's coming a day when we won't even need the sun or the moon to shine. We won't need their light because the light of Jesus is going to light the entire universe. That's the glory that he carries within him. I wonder if any of us are game enough to actually believe what the Bible says. Are we game enough to believe what Scripture says about us? Not that we're putting ourselves up on some pedestal, but will we believe what God says? Because in 1 John 4, it says that as he is, so are we in this world. I wonder if we could get to a point where we have grown in our understanding, in our discernment, and in our experience of his glory to the point where we could just open ourselves out and people would see his glory like they saw it with Jesus. Paul writes in, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians 4, um, and he says this, he says, we have this treasure in earthen jars so that we don't get the glory, but when people see what is in us, God gets the glory. Um, so Paul writes that to the Corinthians. He lived there for quite a, quite a while. And um, archaeologists uncovered a whole lot of uh, ancient ruins from the first century, the time that Paul was living there, actually. And um, there was a, the one particular big main road that they were able to unearth and a lot, of, a lot of houses either side of it. And they went through those homes and they could see many of them were still amazingly intact. And they saw their little kitchens and their shelves and their different rooms and they found a whole lot of uh, jars and pots. And some of them were very ornate. Some of them were actually made of gold and silver. And they had very fancy carvings and stuff on them. And then they found a whole lot of um, uh, earthen, just very plain earthenware pots. Some of them cracked, broken. But in those pots, in many of them, is where they found the people's precious personal possessions. They found their gold rings and their necklaces and bracelets just in these old, cracked, dull, boring earthen pots. Not in the fancy ones. And, and they figured that the reason they put them in there is so that if robbers ever came in, they would just grab the, the good-looking stuff and take that, but actually wouldn't find what was really precious. 
Isn't it amazing that God has chosen just these frail, sometimes pathetic, <laughs> earthen bodies to put his treasure in? What is that treasure? Him. It's him. Isn't he the glorious one? Isn't he the one that shines with brilliant Shekinah glory? Isn't he the one from which that weighty kabod glory emanates from? Because the glory of God is not something that is separate from him. It's the essence of who he is. And so if he's living in you and I, and Paul writes in the book of Colossians and says, says that you and I have been given fullness in Christ, that in Jesus all the fullness of the deity lives. All the fullness of God lived in Jesus. And then he says, and you have been given fullness in Christ. Which means in you, in you is Jesus. In you is the Holy Spirit, who isn't a cut down version of who God is. The Holy Spirit is the fullness of God, just as Jesus is the fullness of God. And as he is, so are we. Well, I said last week, I think uh, I, it wasn't really part of my preach, but ended up being my preach, uh, Ephesians 3, that he is able to do far more than we ask or think or imagine. So where's your imagination when it comes to the reality of what Scripture declares that you can carry the glory of God? Remember one of those movies I saw was, um, was that Cocoon? Is that the movie? Have you ever, who's ever seen that movie? Okay, for those of you who haven't, it's these aliens. Okay, so don't, don't freak out, okay? I like sci-fi movies, anything like that. Um, but these alien guys come along and so they don't scare the human population, they, they basically have a, what they call a, their earth suit, which just covers them. It makes them look human. But there's a moment in the movie where a girl just kind of pulls her eyelid down and you just see this brilliant light that just begins to emanate because they can see who she really is. That's what happened to Jesus. That's what Peter, James and John saw. What if we were to begin to imagine that would happen to us. I'm not talking about you pulling your eyelid down and all of a sudden this light. <laughs> but just in our acts of kindness, in, in the words that we speak, just in the things that we do, 
something of the glory of God would come out that actually goes beyond just looking natural, but that people see something that is supernatural in what we do. You know, we're coming into Christmas time again, and it's the time where families get together and exchange the presents and everyone becomes lovey-dovey with each other when they've never spoken to them for the rest of the year, you know. All that kind of stuff happens. Every year. Look, we're all in families. We all know how all that stuff works. But what if this year you step into that season with a newfound faith and expectation and dream, let your imagination go a bit wild about what could happen as you're kind, as you love, as you embrace people. Imagine that person in your family that, that it's, it's man, that they're a hard nut to crack. They've, it's just been really difficult with that person for years and years and years. But this year, what's going on back here? <laughs> but what if, what if this year, what if this year, as you just embrace them, Something of the supernatural love of God gets imparted to them because you're carrying his glory, because you carry his love, and then something miraculously changes. See, I think that's what it is to actually walk and carry the glory of God on you and in you the way that Jesus did. Because he disarmed so many situations that could have just boiled over into just absolute chaos. And yet he just walks in and he just totally changes the whole situation. Because of who he is, because of what he carries. Folk, that's for you and me. Amen. Lord, we... We just desire your glory. We desire your glory. We thank you, Lord, for the anointing. We, we're learning what it is to walk with your power when it's needed. But then we have so many times where we just feel weak in between. We need your glory. We want to be able to walk with that surrounding us, upon us, and then emanating from us, just like it did with Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you've lifted every single one of us up, really out of the gutter. We may have even thought we had a good life before, but all of us were separated from you until you came. We thank you that you saved us. We thank you that you lifted us. We thank you that you gave us a hope and a future. But Lord, you've also created us, not just for some future time, but you've created us for now to have an impact in this world, to bring heaven to earth, to be a conduit, to be a catalyst, to be a bridge between that realm and this realm. And people will never 
come across that bridge just by things we say. It'll happen as they see a demonstration of your glory and of your goodness, of your love and of your mercy and of your presence. And so as we go from this place, as we go about the things that we are all engaged in during the course of this week, Lord, would you help us to be more aware of your presence with us? Would you show us? Would you teach us? Would you help us to grow and mature in identifying and recognizing your presence? And Lord, wherever there's opportunity for us to actually allow some of your glory to be manifest in a situation, Lord, Lord, help us just to open our and allow you to flow through us. Glory would shine all around. People would be changed and touched and impacted by your goodness and your grace. Thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your promise, Lord. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God and nothing can separate us from his presence. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, folks, have a wonderful week. Carry the glory with you. Be aware of it. And the moment you wake up, thank him for that presence that's going to be with you every day. Bless you. Great to have Dave and Catherine with us. Nice to see you guys again. And uh, lunch at the food court. Okay. Great. Bless you.